Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I want to continue this weekend talking about being restricted by religion. We started talking a little bit about this last weekend in this Waymaker series, the larger series, talking about the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Understanding, obviously, that Jesus is the truth and that Jesus is the life, but Jesus is also known as the way. He's our way to salvation, and he's the one that makes a way for us in our lives. It's extremely important that we understand that Jesus is our way maker. Would you say that phrase with me today? Jesus is our way maker. If you need a way in your life, in any realm, any area, you need Jesus to help you to make that way. And there are all kind of things that get in the way of Jesus making the way. And one of the things that will get in your way of Jesus making his way in your life is religion being restricted by religion. Now, the word religion in and of itself is not necessarily a bad word. And in fact, uh, James the Apostle uses the word in the first chapter, I believe it is, of the book of James. And so it's not necessarily a bad word, but it often has connotations in our lives that we need to more fully understand and the impact that, negatively speaking, religion can have upon us in its negative terms. And so I want to give you a definition that I gave you last weekend for religion as I'm using it in this series. You'll find it on the screens. Let me, in fact, why don't we read it together on the screens? If you'll read with me, that would be fantastic. Let's all read. Religion is man's methods and attempts to get to God, please God, and secure eternal life. The key phrase there is man's methods, man's attempts. Religion is any system where man is trying to get to God. And there are all kinds of religions in our world where people are trying to get to God and trying to somehow please God and trying to actually gain eternal life. That's what most religions are all about. How can I get to God? How can I please God? How can I make sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven or spend eternity with God? And it's man's attempt. And what I talked to you about last weekend is the fact that it's never in Scripture, it's never about us getting to God, it's about God getting to us. And that's a big difference. That's the story of Jesus, Jesus coming to us. And so there's quite a difference between religion as I've defined it here and what we see in the Scriptures and how we go about relationship with God. And when Jesus was on the earth, he quite often dealt with religious people. It was one of the things that was a part of his whole ministry. We're going to dive into that a bit today and understand it more fully. But I want you to see from the get-go today that Jesus came not to get you into religion. Jesus came to get you out of religion out of religion in the sense of your attempts to somehow get to God and your efforts and somehow securing your salvation. Jesus didn't come to get you into something. He came to get you out of something so you could get into a relationship with him in a meaningful and positive way. Last weekend, we talked about the fact that everybody's looking for God. Everybody's longing for God. And there are a lot of these methods and attempts that people will try to use. And I want to add two more uh, thoughts to that this weekend uh, that we'll look at together for the next few moments. Here's the next one for today. And that's the first one for my focal point today is that all religions have common characteristics. All these religions of people trying to get to God and trying to please God and trying to secure eternal life, they all have some very common characteristics. They're not all that different. They may fill in the blanks with different gods, if you will, or different approaches, but there's some common things about this. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he had to deal with religion, the negative aspect of religion. 
There were four primary religions, if you will, during Jesus' time, or expressions of religion in the Jewish environment during Jesus' day. There were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, there were the Essenes, who were very ascetic in their approach to God. And then, of course, there were the Zealots. There were those who were Jewish but wanted to overthrow the Roman government. So there are four kind of folks or groups of people, sexed, we might say, during this particular time that Jesus dealt with. And Jesus' most harsh words and most confrontational ministry happened with the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the ones that he dealt with most often in the synagogues and various places. And you see reference to this over and over again. If you go back and study the Talmud, the Talmud is the, uh, the, the, the Torah or the, represents the five or is the five books of Moses and, Jewish, and the Jewish faith. And then there's something called the Talmud. And the Talmud is the explanation of how to use the Torah. And there's a lot of oral tradition in that. And if you study the Talmud going back in Jewish history, you'll find that there were five, uh, seven different types of Pharisees. And many of these existed perhaps during Jesus' time. I'm going to give you a list of the seven kinds of Pharisees that Jesus perhaps would have had to deal with. You're going to see them on the screen. They're a little bit funny, but these are reality. This is the, these are the way people approached God and see how silly it is. First of all, there were those who were known as the showy Pharisees, or some call them the shoulder Pharisees. And they were referred to as the showy or shoulder Pharisees because they liked to carry their good works on their shoulders. They liked everybody to see what they were doing and know how good they were. And so they were very arrogant and proud. Second of all, there were the procrastinating Pharisees. These were often known as the wait-a-little Pharisees. And their approach was, was to God was in this manner. They would often, when someone was in need to excuse themselves from helping someone in need, they would say, wait a little bit. I'm trying to please God right now. And as soon as I get finished pleasing God, I'll come and help you. But I can't help you right now because I'm too busy pleasing God. And so they didn't understand the need for love and mercy toward other people. The third one, and this one perhaps is the silliest of all of them. They're called the bruised and the bleeding Pharisees. And the bruised and the bleeding Pharisees, they were always bleeding, literally bleeding, because they kept their eyes closed all the time. And the reason they kept their eyes closed all the time was because they were afraid they would see a woman. And so the way they dealt with the potential of seeing a woman and having any kind of lust in their lives toward a woman, they would close their eyes. And so they're always bumping into things. You knew a bleeding Pharisee. You knew what sect he was a part of because he's bleeding all the time, okay? Bruised and bleeding. And then the fourth kind of pair, there's seven of these. The fourth one is what's called the pestle or the humpback Pharisee. The humpback Pharisee was the Pharisee that was always walking around town looking toward the ground, would never look up and would never even pick up his feet from the ground because he wanted people to be impressed with how humble he was. And so if he's always hunched over and shuffling along the journey, people say, oh, look at what a humble guy he is. They're called the hunchback or humpback Pharisees. The fifth type of Pharisee was the calculating Pharisee. They were the accountants of the group. They were always counting up the good versus the bad. If I can just measure out what I've done bad and then offset it by good, then they're always counting. Do I have enough good today to offset my bad? And so they lived with this constant pressure. The sixth one would be the fearful Pharisees. These were the ones that were constantly afraid that God was going to strike them down and judge them. And the last one, the seventh one, and this one will sound positive, but actually it's not. These were known, these folks were known as the loving God Pharisees. They were the most righteous of them all. Because they loved God, but they didn't love God for the right reasons. 
They loved God because they wanted to be rewarded by God. They wanted God to somehow favor them by reason of their good works. Now, all of these sound quite silly, do they not? But this is the environment that Jesus, the kind of environment that Jesus stepped into. And so Jesus often spoke very straightforward to the scribes and to the Pharisees. Let's take a look at some of the things that Jesus had to say to this group of folks. And let's see his mindset toward religion, Jesus' mindset toward religion. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse number 10. This is, I'm going to just give you a few examples of this. We could take time this morning and go through lots of these, but I'm only going to give you a sampling of these today. Luke 13, beginning in verse number 10. On a Sabbath, so that's the holy day, the time of worship. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. So there's a woman at church that day, we might say, and she's been crippled by a demon spirit for 18 years, almost two decades. She was bent over and could not straighten it up at all. Not because she wanted to be bent over. She was crippled by a spirit. She had an affliction, an infirmity in her life. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Let's just stop there for a moment. Let's say in this church service there was someone here today who had been bent over for 18 years, crippled by a spirit, and we prayed for her, and she stood up straight for the first time in 18 years, what do you think we would do as a church? Oh, we would celebrate. We would hallelujah, praise be to God. And we would have just a fantastic praise service. Let's see what the Pharisees did. Are you ready for verse 14? Indignant. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. This is religion for you. They were not concerned about the lady. They were concerned about the fact you broke a law from our perspective, by healing her. That's work on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there's six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. What in essence he's saying to the lady is, you you shouldn't have expected to be healed on the Sabbath. Come back on Monday and let's see what we can do for you. Come back on another day of the week and and it's okay to work on another day of the week, but, but certainly not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered, you hypocrites. Interesting word in the Greek language. It's a word that was used for actors on a stage that would put a mask in front of their face and change masks during a play to take on different characteristics and characters. The Lord answered them, you, you hypocrites, don't, doesn't, even, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he had said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. And so we see the conflict between Jesus and religion. Look at Luke chapter 20, verse 20. You see the mindset of these religious people. Watching for the opportunity, describing the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders, these are the religious leaders, sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he, so he would arrest Jesus. So they're always conniving behind the scenes, somehow trying to trap Jesus in some words or actions that would get him into trouble. Matthew 23, 1 through 5. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the the law of Moses. We're going to come back to this idea of the law of Moses in a moment. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. 
They crush people. Please notice this. This is what religion will do to you. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. Same chapter down to verse 25. Now he's speaking to these religious people. Jesus says, and says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. There he uses that word again. For you're careful, here's the key, you're careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. You have to wonder if Jesus were thinking about the bruised and blind Pharisees that walked around bleeding all the time. You blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. Again, he comes back to that word. For you are what like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, what's wrong? Your hearts are filled with, there you see it again, what's the word? hypocrisy and lawlessness. All of these folks were afflicted by, they were restricted by their religion. Most of them never came to faith in Jesus and experienced the beautiful life that Christ was offering. They rejected him and they rejected him on the basis of the fact that they were caught up in their own religious system. Their attempts to get to God and please God and secure eternal life by their own works, by their own efforts. I want to give you very quickly here today seven characteristics of religious, a religious spirit, seven characteristics of, of living in a system where you're trying to get to God rather than allowing God to get to you. Number one, religion, this kind of religion is always performance-based. I've got to perform. If I don't perform, then I'm not going to be accepted by God. Second of all, it's always focused on rules and rituals to please God. I've got to follow all the rules and I've got to go through the rituals. Whatever my religion says the rituals are, I better make sure I'm doing all the rituals and I'm following all the rules or otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. Thirdly, it's fear-based. It's insecurity producing. Religious systems of man never gives you a confidence of security in your life, in your interaction, your relationship with God. You never are quite sure where you are in relationship with God. Fourthly, it's externally focused. If I just do the things outwardly, then as long as I appear religious, then everything's going to be all right. I'm worried about the outside of the cup, as Jesus talked about a moment ago, although the inside of the cup may be very dirty. Religious people, and I know this by experience with folks like this, and I'm sure you do as well, are very judgmental and condemning and punishing. They're the most judgmental people on the face of the earth, and they're condemning, they're, they're punishing in the way they, they deal with other people. Number six, they're dependent on human willpower for the compliance to God's laws. They, they, they have to do it themselves. I've got to have enough willpower to, to do the right things. And so they're always working on their own willpower to somehow please God. And ultimately, even when they do good, they're self-righteous and they're prideful. These are the characteristics, seven characteristics of religious folks as I've, as I've defined it in this message. Jesus came into a world that was dominated by human religion. And by the way, that world still exists today. That world still exists today. And religion is a works-based approach, a works-based way to try to get to God. 
And what you and I must understand is this book called the Bible is not a book about you and me getting to God. It's a book about God getting to us. Amen? God getting to us. Now here's second simple statement that I want to give you today based upon where we are in this, this message. And I'm going to wrap up this theme today with this, with this statement. Jesus came as, a, as not only a, but the way to God and to abundant and everlasting life. So if we can't get to God, how do we get there? I've already mentioned Religion says get to God. The Bible says God gets to us. So how does God get to us? God gets to us through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. What I'm going to share with you in this part of the story, in this part of the message today, is extremely important for your Christian faith. If you're a believer in Christ, you need to understand what I'm about to share with you today because this is the essence of the gospel that you need to understand and live in as a Christian. If you're not a Christian today or you haven't given your life to Christ, you need to listen closely because this is going to tell you how to have a relationship with God. Because religion, us trying to get to God, is a terrible taskmaster. It's a terrible taskmaster. And I will tell you, it kills you. It does not give you life. It will destroy your life. It will kill you. The Apostle Paul made reference to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Listen to what he said. He said, He, God, has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. I want you to say that phrase with me. A new I want everyone to say that together. Are you ready? A new covenant. new covenant. This is a very important statement today because this is going to show us now the way we are able to experience God in our life through a, say it again with me, a new covenant. So Paul says God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What I want you to understand, if you open up your Bible, you understand there, there are 39 books in something called the Old Testament. It's also known as the Old Covenant. Same, you can interchange those words. Covenant, Testament, same basic word, meaning. So 39 books of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, 27 books in what we call our New Testament, 66 books in what we call our Bible. Actually, the Bible is a combination of 66 books put together, written by over 40 people over about 1,600 years. It's an incredible, miraculous book given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Old Covenant is really wrapped up in God telling us who He is and what He expects of us. It's called the law. Okay. And the law is a revelation of the holiness of God. That's when God took Moses to the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he inscribes on the scrolls the Ten Commandments, then gives all to, to Israel all the understanding of how they were to please him. And so it's helping people to understand how holy God is. But the problem was in the Old Covenant, no one could ever be perfect. No one could ever keep that law. No matter how hard they tried, they were always breaking the law. And so the Bible says because of that, they were living under guilt. And they were living under a sense of judgment and punishment, never knowing where they exactly stood with God always. And so they're living under the letter of the law. And the Bible says the letter of the law kills you. But Paul says we're not ministers of that covenant. We're ministers of a new covenant. And the letter kills, but the Spirit gives 
life. So what is the new covenant? I'll tell you what the new covenant is. Although in the Old Testament no one could ever obey God's law fully and therefore earn relationship with God, Jesus comes on the scene and fully obeys the law completely. He's the first person that ever fully obeyed the law of God. And so he became where Adam created this this destiny, this heritage of sin. Jesus comes along and now establishes righteousness. For the first time in human history, the God-man... Jesus, being fully God and fully man, obeys the law completely and fulfills the law that had never, ever been fulfilled before. And then not only does Jesus fulfill the law, but he actually goes to the cross as the Lamb of God because he's now the perfect sacrifice for sin and sheds his blood so that now through him we have access to God and not just the nation of Israel has access to God, but all of humanity has access to God. And the Bible says that there'll come a time at the end of the age when there'll be around the throne people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation worshiping and praising God. And so Jesus opened the way, not just for the Hebrews, not just for Israel, but for all men who want a relationship with God to have access to God. It's not just your national heritage. There's a different heritage. It's heritage in Jesus. That's the new covenant. And it's better than the old covenant. Because the old covenant kills, but the new covenant gives life. Now, let me show you what Jesus said about this. Let me stop for Everybody still with me so far today? Extremely important message I'm giving you. Notice what Jesus, in helping set up this, this need for the new covenant, describes to his disciples one day in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He says, but I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law, religious law, and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now think about this. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I'm going to help you understand a new relationship with me. You've got to understand that unless your righteousness is better than their righteousness, you're not going to experience the kingdom of God. So that's a pretty strong statement, is it not? Because these guys, they're walking around like this. They're bumping into things, bleeding, trying to be righteous. They're doing all these religious things. And Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs, you can't enter the kingdom. And so we need to understand what he meant by that. So let me take you a little bit further and help you to understand what he meant by that. Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, the book of Hebrews is an amazing book in the Bible. I would encourage you to read and study at times because it helps us to understand this idea of the old covenant versus the new covenant. But let me see if I can read just a portion of it to you today that will help you to understand this. And it's going to be okay if you say hallelujah through a few of these passages because I'm sure if you're like me, I want a little shouting room as I read these passages today. Listen to what it says. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again which can never take away sin. Jesus said in the old covenant the only way people could have a relationship with God is they had to have a priest and the priest had to go every day to the altar and they had to bring lambs up and goats up and birds up and they would slay the the animal and put it on the altar and slay it. Blood would flow and then you would be atoned for and you'd have forgiveness for your sins for that day but the next day they've got to come back again and slay some more animals 
animals. And day after day after day after day after day, there's this slaying of animals to keep people in right relationship with God. And the priests are busy doing this day after day. But now notice verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Okay. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is the new covenant. Jesus said, look, that was the old covenant. But I'm here as the new. I'm the one lamb of God that shall take away the sins of all the world. And he comes and he dies on the cross and he shed his blood. That's why we sing songs about the blood of Jesus. That's why we talk about the blood of Jesus, because it's precious blood, okay? It's the blood that purchased our salvation. It's the blood that cleanses and washes. It's the blood that's made a way when we didn't have a way to get to God. His blood gave us that opportunity to be forgiven for our sins. Let's go on so I don't get ahead of myself too far here, all right? So now he sat down, God's right hand, verse 13. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and, a footstool, and made a footstool under his feet. Please notice this. For by that one offering, when he died on the cross, by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the, help me out here, what is it? What is it, church? It's the new covenant, not the old covenant. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws where in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember, and never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. Suddenly now, it makes sense. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus comes along and says, by the way, I'm the way that's going to happen. I'm the new covenant, and what's going to happen is when you receive me into your life, I'm going to write my law in in your heart, I'm going to write my law in your mind, and you will want to do right from the inside out, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Okay. Because there's something that's happened. See, they're trying to work it from the outside in, and they're all cleaned up on the outside, but they're dirty on the inside. Jesus said, no, that's the old covenant. The new covenant is, let me clean you up on the inside. So you'll live the right way on the outside. There are many of you in this room today. You look back on your life and there were things you used to do that you don't do anymore. Not because somebody told you not to do it anymore. Because when you got saved, you didn't want to do it anymore. Amen. Are you hearing me? Okay. And even when you kept doing it, you were miserable doing it. Okay. You used to have fun doing it, and you could, you know, it's, it's no longer fun to sin because the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, and the Holy Spirit convicts you when you do something wrong and says, that's not how a child of God lives, okay? And that's why we need to listen to that voice. It's not an external rule placed upon us. It's the law of God written in our heart where now we're called to obey and to live for God from the inside out. Some of you 
Years ago, you would have never dreamed of being in church on a Sunday morning. You would have been in bed right now. <laughs> sleeping off something that happened on Saturday night. Okay. But why are you in church? Not because someone put a gun to your head and made you come to church. You're here today because the Spirit drew you. You wanted to be here. Okay. What I want you to see is this is the new covenant. It's not outside in. It is inside out. Let me continue on because there's some good stuff here in verse number 18. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving, what's the next word there? Who is Jesus? Jesus is our way maker, okay? By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. I don't have time to talk about that this morning. That's amazing in and of itself. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Jesus said clearly to a man that we're going to refer to in just a moment, these words in John three seventeen: for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, two of my favorite verses in the book of Ephesians especially. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. I gave you some characteristics a moment ago of the of religion. I want to give you some characteristics of this new and living way. I'm going to walk through these very, very quickly. There's seven of these as well. Number one, it's a way of mercy and grace over performance. This new and living way is about mercy and grace now from God rather than our performance. It's about faith over our works. You don't work your way to salvation. You believe in what Jesus did and you receive salvation. It's about relationship over rules and rituals. It's about having a relationship with God. It's not about, am I doing all the right things? No, do I have a relationship with God? It's about security and peace over insecurity and fear. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's about internal changes before external changes. It's about God's power over our willpower. And the last one that I'll mention here, it's about restoration and redemption over condemnation. Praise be to God for that. That God takes us, and here we are in our messed up state, as we all are before we come to Christ, and we come to Him, and we feel like we're just broken, we have nothing to offer, and God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do an incredible new work in you. I'm going to restore what you never thought could be restored in your life. I'm going to put broken places back together again. Anybody today can testify you're a lot more whole today than you used to be in your life. Amen. Okay. We're not, there's not a single one of us that's perfectly whole yet. We're still on the journey, but I'm a low, whole lot wholer than I used to be. How about you? 
And the same is true for you if we're following Jesus because he restores and he redeems your life. There are things you thought were wasted and messed up. Jesus said, I can, I can work with that. I can redeem what you never thought was redeemable in your life. It's not about following the rules or doing your works. It's about a relationship with God. About a month ago, I went to South America. And um, when I got to Lima, Peru, I was there for, for uh, church services, anniversary services there for our sister church there. And so when you go, obviously, in any country, you got to go through immigration. You go through the customs area, the immigration area. And can you imagine if I walked up to the immigration agent and I said, I'd like entrance into your country. And he says, well, let me see your passport. And I said, well, I don't have a passport, but I'm a really nice guy. I'm really good. I've been really good this week. Really good. Really good. I was nice to the people on the plane. You know, I was helped a little old lady across the street. I did all kinds of amazing things. Also, I've got some beautiful children. Let me show you the picture of my children, okay? Oh, you should see my house. It's amazing. I can, I can bring out all these incredible things. And there's one thing the immigration guys are going to see or gals going to want to see. It has nothing to do with how good I am or what my... I can bring 15 character references with me. Well, here are all my friends. They're going to tell you how good I am, okay? But you know what they're going to want to see? They want to see a valid passport, right? That's, that's the one thing they want to see is a valid passport that says, okay, now you have entrance into my country. And what I want you to see today is this. The same is true when it comes to getting into heaven and getting into a relationship with God. You don't get in by coming to God and saying, God, let me just tell you how good I am. I've been pretty good. I got a nice family. I've done some good things with my life. God says, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the stamp of the blood of Jesus over your life. Okay. I'm looking for the stamp of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. And you've invited him in to be Lord of your life. This was the challenge as I'm going to wrap up here this morning with, with a final story from the Bible. This is what a Pharisee, a very religious man named Nicodemus was trying to wrap his mind around. And it's found in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime because he didn't want any of his other religious friends to know that he was coming. So someone said that was the original Nick at night. Okay, so I'm not sure. But uh, he comes to Jesus by night. Okay. And so he says, Jesus... You're special. There's nobody. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. You're, nobody's like you. You're doing all these miracles. I, I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around Jesus, who you are. And so he has this conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus does, and Jesus responds to him with these words. I want you to listen to what he said. Read them with me. They're going to be on the screen because this is going to bring us to a conclusion today. Verse, chapter 3, verse 3. Let's read it aloud and loudly. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He's saying, Nicodemus, religion's not going to get you to God, but I can. It's not what happens or what you do on the outside. It's what's happened to you on the inside. If you really want what I'm offering, you need to be born again. And, And Jesus goes on to explain that he needs to be born of water and the Spirit and he talks about being born of the Spirit. He describes this experience for Nicodemus. And I truly believe that Nicodemus eventually gave his life to Christ because he's there at the tomb when Jesus was buried. But what I want to ask you today is this. Are you trying to earn your way to God? 
Are you wrapped up in religion or do you really know Jesus? Is church for you or your faith for you just a set of rules that you're following and boxes that you tick off and say, okay, I did that this week and I must be okay with God? Are you living in the security of your salvation, the security of knowing that you have a relationship with God or are you still struggling with that? And I'll ask you the question that Jesus, I believe, was, was posing to Nicodemus. Have you been born again? That's my question for you. Have you been born again? Not do you come to church. Not have you done a lot of nice things. I hope that you're doing good things. We all ought to do good things. But that doesn't earn us anything with God. It's not by works that we get to heaven. And it would break my heart to get to the to, to, to eternity one day and to see anyone that I've had the privilege of preaching the beautiful gospel of Christ to not make their way into eternity because they didn't understand that they needed to be born again. And you say, well, how am I born again? What's Jesus? You said, Pastor, Jesus is the way, but how do I do this? I'm going to show you exactly the way you do it. And I do this every weekend here at the church. And I don't do it as a ritual. This is an important part of every service that we do. It's coming to the fact that you're able to humble yourself before God and say, God, I'll never be good enough for you. No matter what I do, I I know that my works are not going to cut it with you. I can't do it. And I'm sorry for being a sinner. And that's called repentance. Repentance is saying... I'm sorry for the fact that I'm, I'm broken. I'm sinful in the inside. I've realized that I just can't get my act together with you, God. And I'm sorry for that. But Jesus, I believe in your gospel message is the good news. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave. And Jesus, now I'm asking you to come into my life and forgive me personally. Not some religious ritual that I go through, but I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins. And I'm asking you to come into my life. And I want to turn my life over to you so that you're living inside of me. So that now I can live for you. Because God, I can't get to you. But thank you that you've come to get to me. And if you'll pray a prayer like that sincerely from your heart and their testimonies all throughout this room right here today of people that can say yeah there was that time that I prayed that prayer in my life and that began a transformation in me that I'm still experiencing in my life to this day and it can start for you this morning so I'm going to ask you as I'm wrapping up today's message have you been born again if you haven't been born again today this room can become a heavenly maternity ward amen okay We can have babies born all through this room today of people coming to faith in Christ. Would you bow your heads together with me? I felt impressed for this weekend, especially, I'm not sure for the future, but I certainly felt impressed for this weekend. I'm going to do things a little bit differently than I would normally do them. I'm going to do them for this purpose today. If you'd say, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure that I've ever really been born again, that I've really invited Christ into my life as you've just described it. I'm not sure of that. But now I understand, and today I want to turn my life over to Christ. I want to be born again. 
I'm going to ask you to let me know who you are just by lifting your hand just for a brief moment. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. And then you can put it right back down, right over here to my left. Two hands here, middle section, thank you. Another hand here. Sir, right back here to my left. Young man here to my right. Young man over here. Right now, to my far right over here. Pastor, today, I want today, I want to be born again. Let me see your hand. As soon as you raise it, I acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. Sir, back to my left. Two hands here. Thank you. All the way in the very back. Once you raise your hand, if you'll just look up at me so I can acknowledge you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand over here. I'm going to wait just another moment all the way in the very back. I don't want to delay things any longer. There are three hands over here. God bless you so much, ladies. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down now. I want to be born again today. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. All the way back here, young man, I see your hand. God bless you, buddy. Thank you so much. And right here, sir, thank you. God bless you. Today, I want a relationship with Jesus. I feel the Holy Spirit here today. It's a very important moment as the Spirit of the living God is moving among us. Don't push him away. That little feeling you have on the inside is your moment. Right here, ma'am, I see your hand. Thank you. Right here, sir. Right here, sir. All the way in the very back. Come, Holy Spirit. You can put your hands down now, sir, right here. Thank you. Maybe you didn't get your hand up, but you still want to be included in this. You can pray this prayer. There had to be probably 20 or more of you right then that just raised that hand a moment ago. But if you raised that hand or if you wanted to and you didn't do it, here's the next step. You're going to pray a prayer with me right now. Don't pray it if you don't mean it. But if you mean it, pray it. And pray it from your heart right now. Start by whispering the name Jesus right where you are. Just, just go ahead and whisper his name. You're talking to him. You're not talking to me. You're not talking to yourself. You're going to talk to him right now. Say, Jesus. Go ahead and whisper his name. Say, Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I've done a lot of wrong things in my life. God, I'm really sorry for all of my sins. Now pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God, the Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave. Jesus, I believe in you. Now pray this prayer. So Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. You ask him in right now. Come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. I turn my life over to you today. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. 
and I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.